Imagine walking down a street late at night. It's pitch black. The world around you is quiet, but yet something ominous lingers in the air. Out of the darkness, you notice a man running towards you. The man is panicking and his arms are restrained by handcuffs. He runs straight past you and approaches a parked police car with two officers inside. You watch as the sirens turn on and the blue and red lights flash as the car drives into a nearby apartment complex. The cops enter the building and minutes later, dozens of police cars swarm the area. The block is sectioned off and the two cops that enter the building come out with a tall, blonde man with a sinister look in his eyes. Hello and welcome back, everyone. Today is going to be our first actual true crime episode because those are scary, too. Sometimes even more terrifying than the urban legends. Yeah, you know... We're not going, I guess, strictly into the, the actual story. We're comparing it with a movie that we just recently watched. And we're going to be talking about the real-life case of Jeffrey Dahmer, a very infamous serial killer, but comparing it to the movie My Friend Dahmer. And, wow, just... I already knew Jeffrey Dahmer was a crazy guy, but the, uh, the rabbit hole we went down this <laughs> past couple days was a little insane to me. Just watching the interviews that he has and how, like, calm and almost regular he sounds. Well, yeah, he was a very, like, calculated man. He was very smart. He knew what he was doing. So, that being said, um, there's going to be a little bit of trigger warnings. This is a very um, potentially brutal episode with some of the deaths that we're going to talk about. And comparing that to some of the stuff that happens in the movie and his early life. Let's start off with who Jeffrey Dahmer was. So, Jeffrey Dahmer was born on May 21st, 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He kind of grew up in a family where his dad was a chemist, and his mom kind of had on and off again medical problems. She wasn't the most loving of mothers to him. And you can actually see this in the movie as well. I, I think the movie did a pretty good portrayal of how the mom was, and especially watching her in the interviews later on. We could see how she kind of didn't want to put any of the blame on herself. She was just like, I don't know where it came from. And I, I think it says a lot about the person, especially with her and Jeffrey's history. Mm -hmm. By the age of 14, Dahmer started drinking hard liquor and beer. That says a lot. <laughs> just a 14-year-old drinking that early is probably going to have a lot of problems at some point. Yeah, it, it's not just like high school students going to parties type of drinking. It's like a regular, he's already an alcoholic type yeah, of Yeah, showing up to school day drunk. drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and that'll do a lot. And, you know, he didn't have the best upbringing either. You know, his parents were going through a really bad divorce. The mom was kind of showing more affection towards his younger brother. And the dad was, I mean, he was constantly working. And when he was home, he was drinking or arguing with his wife. And I, I think that kind of really plays into who Jeffrey Dahmer becomes later on. Another one of the things that kind of fascinated me with his psyche was he realized by the time he hit puberty that he was gay. And the family he grew up in weren't the most accepting of, you know, homosexuals. Yeah, I mean, he grew up in a very religious home in the 70s so he couldn't really talk to anyone about it and at that time being gay was a big no-no <laughs> yeah well even in today there's a lot of like parts of the world that are still like this is a, a bad thing 
Sadly. Yeah. And I, I can only imagine how it was in the 70s, especially because, you know, you're, you're not supposed to talk about it. And if you were, I mean, you could get the crap kicked out of you or your parents might disown you. It's a really awful thing. And I think because not only did he have a lot of mental problems already with his upbringing, but having to hide that, I think definitely did play a factor into him becoming a serial killer. And feeling like he can't talk to his parents about anything. Right. And I, I think that's one of the things I liked about the movie My Friend Dahmer was that in no way was the movie glorifying or trying to make you feel sympathetic to Jeffrey Dahmer, but it gave you a different perspective of why he became the way he did. And I, and I think that aspect really fascinated me. That and Ross Lynch's acting was really good. <laughs> Especially coming out of a Disney Channel, wow. <laughs> yeah, a big Disney Channel star. He looked so much like Dahmer in all of the clothes and makeup that mm -hmm. it astounded me how accurate it was. Right, and they even got to film in his actual house, like Dahmer's house. Yeah. <laughs> that was shocking to me, that yeah. they would want to actually film inside of the house instead of a replica. yeah. I mean, they talked to the current owner, and the guy was like, uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, they let him. And that means they probably filmed in the woods around, too. <laughs> I wonder how many times people looked at the backyard and were like, there was a dead body that was buried here not too long ago. Yeah. It's really terrifying to think about it. All of the horrible things that happened in that house, as well as throughout his life, I thought it was very interesting that one of Dahmer's friends made a comic book about him. And that's what kind of inspired this movie called My Friend Dahmer, because that's what the comics are called. And it kind of showcased from his perspective of, like, how they made Dahmer a class clown, essentially. Because Dahmer used to, like, run around and they would call it Dahmering or some variation of his name. And he would act like he had cerebral palsy, which is horrible. <laughs> And he would just kind of spaz out, and everyone would start laughing. But, I don't know, it's very interesting trying to dive into all the different aspects of his life, of what kind of made him who he was. Well, at first, that actually started with his dad getting rid of his own chemistry set. Because he used to have the shed in the backyard where... His dad would give him, like, certain less lethal, I guess, chemicals. Yeah. That he could experiment with roadkill. And then once the dad basically, like, tore that down and was like, no, you need to basically get a life and, I don't want you know, you to do what get I did. friends <laughs> and I don't want you to become what I became. That's when Jeffrey Dahmer really went to school looking for a way to make friends. And his way to do that was to have a massive seizure. I say that quote unquote in front of like in the middle of the hallway where everyone was watching him and kind of making fun of him and, Oh, like he's such a jokester. And then he started having these friends. And even then it was, there was, like, a friendship, but at the same time, they were just kind of using him. Which, high school kids are mean no matter what, but... I, I think I, one of the jocks <laughs> in the movie summed it up really well. Yeah? Jeffrey Dahmer was their jester. Yes. He was a part of their group, but he was really only there to make them laugh. 
And it gets so hard. In the movie, um, there's this one scene where they kind of want to do one final Dahmer blast thing. And they get a bunch of, like, jocks and people. They're paying the friends. And they give Dahmer some of the money. And he does, like, this hour-long spaz in the mall. And it's just such a hard scene to watch. Yeah. Because most of the people that had gathered at the mall, like, their friend group, they were all laughing and having a good time. But in the background, you also see the main friend basically looking sympathetic. It almost like he felt guilty. And I'm curious if whether or not the friend in real life felt that way about doing all these things. I feel like in a way, maybe he did. Like, maybe the comic book was his way of maybe not humanizing Dahmer, but to show his side of the story. Or do you think it might have just been a cash grab because, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer was a big thing and he was doing that to try and get his name out there more? Could be. But as an artist, you know, you're always taught to write what you know. True. And he knew all of this stuff growing up. Do you think maybe he felt responsible with maybe how Dahmer turned out? Or not like fully responsible, but played a part in it? I think anyone in his life would have felt at least a little bit of responsibility. Except the mom in the interview. <laughs> at least the one she we was watched. All... The dad blamed himself yeah. on multiple cases. And Even... the mom was just like, no, I don't remember taking these pills because she had a bad pregnancy with Dahmer, which is why she was prescribed so many pills. Yeah. And everyone thinks that maybe the pills when she was still pregnant maybe messed with his psyche a little bit. Or maybe he got a hold of them or, you know, something like that. Not trying to blame her, but then she feels like they're all blaming her. So she gets defensive, defensive and is like, no, like, I don't know why you turned out this way. Like, I was a, such a good mom and... You know, he had such a nice life, and he was just a normal kid, and, you know, I did nothing wrong. That's really what it seemed. In, in the interview we watched of her, that's just really what it felt like. And yeah. even the way she just kind of talked about it, it was... Yeah. It, it's I, hard to watch. Very. But anyway, getting to your question, like I said, I think everyone in his life have felt some responsibility for Dahmer's actions. Yeah. I mean, the dad even wrote a book about it. Yeah. And like, even the brother, the grandmother, any of his teachers might yeah. have. Any class bullies or, you know, any of his friends that he made. It really goes to show that when you're in high school... You really can't treat people poorly because you don't know how they're going to turn out and your actions could really affect them in some way. And I, I'm not using that as a scapegoat for what he did, but just, you know, your environment really plays into who you are. Yeah. And if you want to talk about it on a biological level, I mean, the dad in the interview even said that, you know, there are sometimes he felt this way, but, you know, he never really acted on those urges. Like there were times where he just really wanted someone dead and he could just beat them, but he never did it. His son clearly felt the same way, but did it many times. And again, I feel like that more goes to the home environment. Jeffrey Dahmer maybe felt like he couldn't talk to anyone. Right. Especially with his sexuality. And he even said in multiple interviews that he never confirmed that he was gay. It was always just a, 
I don't know what I'm feeling type of thing, even though all of his victims were males and he specifically frequented gay bars at the time. So clearly... Well, that and he would drug them and rape them. Yeah. He had one foot out of the closet, but he could never talk to anyone, so he never got that release that he really needed to not go on that psychopathic, murderous route. Honestly, even if he was able to come out in a comfortable environment, I don't know if that still would have changed his path or not. Because at a young age, he was collecting roadkill, and he had a weird fascination with the insides of people and animals and everything. I mean, a lot of scientists could actually say the same thing of, you know, they have a fascination of, what makes you it know, tick. certain animals, what makes it tick, all of that stuff. When he got to the fork in the road of, you know, should I continue on this roadkill or stop it? Or, you know, should I make my own roadkill? And kill animals. And start killing animals to see how they tick. He went on the killing spree. Right. And that's where I felt like if he could talk to his parents, whether it's about the sexuality or any feelings that he's having then they could have said, like, hey, like, this, you need to get some help, dude. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the things that the movie did do an accurate portrayal of was the jogger. So I don't know if necessarily the jogger was a doctor, but Dahmer used to stalk this jogger on this, like, wooden path. He would literally wait in the tree line and would memorize the jogger's time of day he would run, and then he would try to build himself up to actually killed the jogger he used to wait behind a tree with like a bat (laughs) ready for it but then he never could follow through at that point but i i do think the movie did a good job of kind of displaying that side of him and that frustration and anger because then when he would let the jogger go he would literally beat a tree with the bat or he i guess he would take his frustration out on an animal somewhere eventually three weeks after he graduated high school He moved up from killing animals to killing people. And his first victim was Stephen Hicks. And Stephen Hicks was an 18-year-old kid who was trying to hitchhike. And Dahmer happened to pass him on the road. And Hicks was shirtless. And Dahmer liked it. So he was kind of going back and forth on whether or not to pick Hicks up. And at this time, Dahmer was living alone in the house. His dad was living at, like, his girlfriend's house or, like, a hotel or something like that. And the mom moved out with her younger brother. Dahmer picked him up, took him back to his home, and they drank and talked about girls. Which kind of made Dahmer upset because Hicks was just talking about, you know, like, oh, this one girl he was trying to get at and things like that. Hicks kept kind of sensing something was off with Dahmer. And at one point, he was like, well, I'm going to go. And then that's when Dahmer took a 10-pound dumbbell and hit him over the head twice. And as Hicks was passed out, bleeding on the floor, Dahmer strangled him to death. And then examined his body even further. After he killed Hicks, he quickly had to figure out what to do with the body. This is his first time killing an actual human. And he ends up dissolving him in some acid. And then he took his bones, put them on the ground, and crushed them up with a sledgehammer and spread the bones throughout the forest where he lived. And that was in 1978. And Dahmer didn't actually kill again until 1987. In that nine years, 
He tried going to college. He was there for a few weeks, not even like a full semester, and he was just drinking too much. So he ended up dropping out, even though his dad paid for like the full year for him to go. And then Dahmer came back, and in January of 1979, his dad was able to convince Dahmer to enlist in the army. So he did that. Dahmer was only there for about two years, and in those two years, two soldiers came out at one point and said that Dahmer had raped both of them. One of the soldiers even said that it lasted for months, that Dahmer would knock them out or drug them and rape them, and, you know, they, they couldn't talk about it either, or something could have happened to them in the military. They could have been discharged or something, so they kept it to themselves. And eventually, he was dishonorably discharged in 1981 because he couldn't really keep up with, I guess, their standards. And they gave him a plane ticket. He flew out to Florida for a little bit, but eventually begged his dad to come back home. And then when he came back to Wisconsin, he ended up getting this job in a chocolate factory where he stayed working for a while. At one point, he was living with his grandma. And in 1987, Dahmer decided that he was going to frequent a lot of gay bars. You know, he wanted to meet men. He had still some of these weird urges... And that's where he met Stephen Tuami, and I think I just butchered his last name, so I apologize for that. And the two of them went back to a hotel room where, you know, Dahmer ended up drugging him, and he raped his unconscious body. And then Dahmer woke up the next morning covered in blood. He blacked out. He had no idea what happened. And then he looked under the bed and found Stephen's body, and Stephen's chest was completely crushed in. Dahmer left, bought a suitcase, and was able to sneak out without a trace. And his killing spree lasted for a few years, and he ended up being convicted for 17 deaths. Honestly, I would believe there's a lot more. Well, I think he confessed to 18, but they could only prove 17 or something like that. But honestly, I don't know. The, the way you watch him in the interviews, it's just... It's like he's still hiding something, even though he's, like, talking about everything. Oh, yeah, he seems like a open book during the interviews right but i don't know yes he's talking about it but i still feel like there's stuff that he wasn't hitting and i think based off his body language i think that's noticeable so that's where my my theory of there is a lot more deaths than he was letting on to believe we would never know we will never know but we do know that Dahmer was arrested july 22nd 1991 and the reason he was arrested was because he took a man back to his apartment handcuffed him. He was able to convince the man to get up there by telling him that, you know, he was going to give him a hundred bucks and all he had to do was take some naked photos and he can have free beer and stuff. And eventually the guy was able to punch Dahmer in the face and ran out of the room and flagged down a cop car. And the cops came. They said they questioned Dahmer about why this man was handcuffed and Dahmer's like, oh yeah, you know, I have the key. And then that's when they saw a giant gallon couple gallon barrel that looked like it shouldn't belong there and then one of the cops opened the fridge and found a severed head and they immediately arrested him right there thank goodness they did because Dahmer had a lot of issues on top of the rapes and murders he also would expose himself to young kids he would eat the remains of some of his victims and he was just overall crazy he was not a good human being. He was an evil guy. He ended up dying on November 28th, 1994 in prison because he happened to kind of anger another inmate 
Not really. But what happened was Dahmer used to do weird things in prison where he would make, like, bodies with his food and dump a bunch of ketchup on it. And this used to kind of weird out some of the other inmates who, mind you, are also very bad people. And one day, him and his future killer and another inmate were all in the same room. And one of the inmates ended up getting poked with the with a mop or something like that. And No, so the killer, he said that... He felt a poke, whether it was a mop, like you said, or just, like, a finger or something. And he looked over, and both Dahmer and the other inmate were giggling. You know, something kind of jokester-esque of, oh my god, we just got him. Like, so funny. He doesn't and know what happened. Then he proceeded to kill both of them. Yeah, he, like, cornered Dahmer in the locker room with a newspaper that had listed everything that Dahmer had done. And then when Dahmer tried to leave, he basically beat Dahmer to death. Yeah. Well, and the other inmate. I get all of them were bad people. Dahmer was a psychopath. But to get killed over a poke... Is like it wasn't the... just the poke though. It, he was looking for any reason to kill Dahmer because he had the newspaper clippings of what Dahmer did, and he already didn't like Dahmer before he got the clippings. Okay, then if Dahmer didn't poke him, and he explained some of the things, like yeah, I did that. Do you think he would have killed him? Yeah, that guy would have killed him no matter what. Eh, I don't Dahmer could have tripped next to him, and he would have been like, "This is my opportunity." I can't say he'll be missed. <laughs> yeah, I can't say that either. And in fact, even after his death, his hometown had a candlelight vigil celebrating his death and trying to help the community move on and heal. They were glad he was dead, and I'm sure all the families of the victims were glad as well. I mean, he buried his second victim in his grandma's house. The guy was not a good human being. His apartment complex was even torn down. Yeah. Nobody, nobody wanted that there. They didn't want any association with it. And they just have a patch of grass that's fenced off now where the apartment was. Just all of this stuff that he did just affected so many lives. And he was just such a messed up and bad person yeah but we as society for some reason like serial killers which is why we have a bunch of true crime documentaries and doing deep analysis on serial killers <laughs> like what we just did it's a weird fascination yeah I, I i guess for me it's just like i want to know what makes you tick like how did you become who you are so i like the show um mindhunter because that was, like, the case of this is what a serial killer is defined as. And to me, that's very fascinating. I actually like Criminal Minds because of that reason. Like, they have an analysis team that also acts as, like, a SWAT team. And yeah, but is that the cheesy cop one? Criminal Minds? Yeah. Have you ever seen one of those episodes? It gets dark. Oh, okay. I'm, which one am I thinking of? Because I know some of the cop shows get super cheesy. Uh, 
Mentalist? Maybe? No, I've never seen The Mentalist. I remember uh, there was one where there was like, they hunted after serial killers, but they would also kind of make really cheesy jokes. Psych? No, uh, well, I know Psych did that, but no, I, it was like an actual more serious one. It wasn't meant to be a comedy, but there was just, ugh, I'm blanking on it. Maybe if you guys are listening, you know what I'm talking about. Let me know on Instagram or Twitter. I mean, there's so many shows about cops and, like, SWAT teams and all of these serial killers. Very true. <laughs> no one knows what you're talking about. Ugh, fine. <laughs> I'll know it if I see it. I mean, Criminal Minds does have some lightheartedness. It kind of has to, like, throughout the team. But when it gets to the case, like, there are some really dark moments. All right, well, maybe we'll do some more serial killer episodes in the future. They're pretty scary. But, God, I feel like we went in such a dark rabbit hole this past couple of days looking up all these documentaries and watching all these interviews. Wow. So interesting, though. I don't regret it. That being said, uh, no regrets, and uh, thank you guys for listening. We will see you next time. See ya.